I, and to renew the fellowship that we have, except for on a Sunday morning, you know? Justin is right. Uh, Patrick and Dee have gone to the Bahamas with the Solomon Group. Um, when he was uh, talking to me about it, I told him to make sure that he forgot all about KCC and just relaxed and enjoyed himself, get in some of that sunshine and stuff, and then come back all charged up so he can do his thing again. As much as we appreciate him and everything else, it's not often that a pastor gets a chance to go off on a retreat like this and just spend some quality time with other ministers and with other men of God and women of God and, and get to recharge and rebuild themselves. And so it's an important thing that, that goes on once in a while. And so keep them in prayer while they're traveling and stuff and uh, look forward to having them back next week and stuff. I'm getting a little feedback too, guys. Um, you know, when I was younger, um, during my wandering days, I experienced religion in the church. And uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of the, the connotation of that and not, but religion uh, has both the positive and a negative aspect. And in my case, it was very negative. I experienced the legalism. I experienced the do what I say versus what I do type of thing. And it caused me to walk away from the church. I mean, I was a 12-year-old young man. I was studying for God and Country Merit Badge with the Boy Scouts. I was on fire. I thought I wanted to be a minister and everything else. And all of a sudden, this wet blanket landed on top of me. And I said, I'm done with this. If that's what this is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. And so I went out and I explored and I looked. And I started digging into all of these different philosophies and religions and, and things like that. And you know what? There's an awful lot of baloney out there that you can buy into. I mean, there is stuff out there that as far out as you can be, I mean, the aspect of putting human values into plants and animals and things like that and worshiping them on the same level as human beings and things to, uh, you know, Mother Earth, Gaia, and the aspect that we're supposed to take care of it more than we're supposed to take care of one another. I mean, you know, that's, that's a little strange when you look at the priorities and stuff like that. But for the most part, what I found was is that I studied and I looked at these things. There was always something missing. There was, there, was a, there was a piece of something in there that I just couldn't quite figure out. And it was cool and all when I saw some of this stuff because it seemed like people kept saying over and over and over again, this is what I needed to do in order to be happy or to be content with life. But you know what? There's got to be more than just a be happy existence. And so that's why I kept digging, and I kept looking, and I kept trying to see what was there. I mean, every proponent of those philosophies and religions that I looked at were human. And being human, they always talked about these things in terms of a one-on-one type of a connection. I mean, my relationship to you, you know, and our fellowship... And the love that we're supposed to have with one another, which is cool. And I mean, that, that's a good thing. But that was it. I mean, there was nothing that took care of what's next. And so there was always these questions that roved around in my head. Now, I don't claim to be the smartest rock in the pile, okay? So, I mean, you know, I, I look at some of this stuff, but I, I look at it and I go, why should I pattern my life after somebody who's not that much different than I am. Maybe they're smarter. Maybe they're more eloquent. Maybe they've got, you know, an expanded reason and thinking and stuff like that. But all in all, they aren't a whole lot different than the flesh and blood than I am. 
And as I watch, you know, every single one of the proponents of these things died. And when they did, it seems like over time, the timelessness of their message also died with them. I mean, you can look at the different pieces and stuff like that. And I mean, the guru, you know, with the deep thinking and stuff like that, studying the inner being and all that, that's cool. But they died, just like I'm destined to do. One day, my eyes were opened. It happened right here at Kentwood Christian Church. We were attending a Boy Scout Sunday. Our sons were in the Scouts. Proud to say they both made Eagle in the troop that was a part of the church at the time. But we attended the service, and our minister back then, Larry Carter, uh, delivered a message that my wife and I heard, and we went, wow, you know, that, that's pretty cool. Now, I had always believed in God, or at least some kind of a supreme being or entity. But in Larry's preaching, all of a sudden, it, it came through to me that what this was is that God wanted to have a relationship with me. And that struck me as odd, because on everything else, there was no relationship being built. It was a set of rules, a set of, you know, do this, don't do that, and, and that's how you'll, you'll succeed and stuff. But I discovered that God loved me. Now, duh, you're probably going, yeah, he isn't the smartest rock in the pile. I mean, you, most of you may have known all along and stuff like that. But for me, this was an eye-opener, because I discovered that God reached out to me and showed me his love during the time when I was petty, I was frail, I was full of all of these human things of it's all about me. And as he reached out and he touched me that way and stuff, it caused me to start looking into him and more because I wanted to know more about this God. I wanted to know more about this Savior. I wanted to know more about this Holy Spirit that, that works within us to make us into what God knows that we can be. In other words, like I said, he stepped out when I was at my worst. I didn't have to prove my worth to him. I didn't have to clean myself up first or anything else. In the worst state that I was, he reached out for me and loved me. That's kind of hard for some of us to accept. That's kind of hard for some of us to realize because some of us may not have always have experienced love in that way or in that form, and it was new. I mean, as I looked at these other religions and stuff like that, one of the things I found was that... Okay, guys, technology is not always our friend. Next slide, please. That if you look at things like Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius, you know, all of them were great thinkers. As a matter of fact, all of the religions of that time, they were great thinkers and stuff like that. But it was interesting that Muhammad, before he died, said that I'm not the way. You know, with all that he practiced and all that Islam teaches and stuff, he said to his followers, I'm not the way. Buddha was a, uh, was a man who was on a pilgrimage. He was on a quest through his whole life. And he said that what we had to do was we had to look and seek the meaning of life. And he died still trying to find that meaning. Confucius. 
the great thinker and philosopher that he was that has sent down so many of those corny fortune cookie things that we read, said that as he died, that we need to seek the truth. Now, the irony of all of this is that Jesus turned around and said exactly what they said that they couldn't be when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You see, these other three and all of those others were nothing more than human. And yet Jesus Christ was deity. He was God. And in God, when he was with us, he made the statement that says, you can seek all you want. You can look in every mud puddle that comes along, but you're not going to find what you're looking for until you talk with me. Spend time with me. Learn who I am. Jesus started the opposite of every one of these other philosophers in the fact that he started off as God, not as a human. And that, I think, is where the difference comes in. Ah. How do we know that? Well, one of the things is that we read in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. This is a statement that was given to us by John as a realization when he wrote his gospel of what he had seen, what he had learned, and what he had experienced through his time with Christ. And how do we know he was God? First of all, there's a number of things. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Yeah. How do we know he was God? First of all, we can study the Bible and we can see prophecy. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah, the Christ that was come. And every one of them talks about the aspect of this God-man or this God that would come back one day and who would restore Israel to all of its finest and everything else. But more importantly, it talked about all of the aspects of who this would be. And he was the only man in all of history who fulfilled every one of those prophecies. That's interesting because others have met some of them. More than one Jesus during the time of Jesus' life in Jerusalem. Did you know that? Jesus was not a unique name. They had historical evidence of the fact that there were other people who were named that during that time frame. But only he, all of the other ones who claimed to be the Messiah, only he fulfilled all 300 of the prophecies that were made. Another one was the miracles that he performed. Jesus Christ is the only one who gave sight to the blind, who made lame people walk, who cast demons out of people in the spiritual world. He is the only one who could demand obedience of them. He is the only one who could command the sky and the sea to change instantly. A weatherman will tell you that all the time. But Jesus, with his disciples, stood in the storm and said, Be calm! And the wind slowed down, the sea went calm, and his disciples looked at him with, who is this who can command the sky and the sea to do his will? It was Jesus. 
Only Jesus was capable of changing compound molecules from one substance to another when he made water turn into wine. Not something easily done. And what's more is that Jesus raised the dead back to life. Now, that last point, people say, well, so did Paul. So did Peter. As they go through and they read the scripture and stuff, they can see that they even gave some the ability to walk in things. But in every one of those other instances, it occurred because they called on either the name of God or on the name of Jesus for that to happen. Jesus did it under his own authority. He didn't have to go to anybody else to have something happen. When he took and made mud and put it on the man's eyes and the man could see, he did that. And he had the ability to do that. Another thing that we can look at as the proof of him being God is through his resurrection. Jesus Christ is the only one who was dead, whose death was verified, He was buried, it was witnessed, and yet he came back to life. And in such a physical manner that people could touch him, could hear him, could interact with him, and yet he could still do the spiritual and the metaphysical things that others could not. Now Lazarus and some of the others may have had another quarter dropped in their life meter, I mean, you know, they were brought back to life for a period of time, but every single one of them died again. None of them are living to this day, but Jesus Christ is. See, we serve a God and a Savior who when he rose and ascended into heaven, he did not go up in a spiritual form. He didn't go up as a ghost. He didn't go up as a spirit. He went up as a man. And became God where he was in the beginning. Back with God. I don't know if you understand the significance of that. But think about that. When he did that, he destroyed the one thing that man fears the most. Death. Everybody is concerned about what happens after die. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What is after life? There are some who go, yeah, I'm going to hell and I'm going to party. Yeah, I got news for you. You better read about what hell is. You realize there ain't going to be no party for you down there. And others say, well, I don't know, you know. I'll just join the cosmos. Yeah, right. Even physicists say that you cannot destroy energy, and we are made with energy. So what happens to that energy? It's got to go somewhere. Read the Bible. It'll tell you where. The other thing is, is that, as I said, he interacted with man. On the road to Ephesus, he talked with two men. And they said their hearts burned, he talked to them. And when their eyes were opened and they realized who it was that was with them, poof, he was gone. That gives me chills, thinking about that. However... Here's the decisive factor for me. Next slide, please. He was also human. Even though he was God, he was also wholly human 
when he was with us. Now, what I mean by holy human is that he was flesh and blood just like you are. Poke him, and he felt it. Stick a finger in his eye, and it went, ouch! He bled. He cried. He laughed. He was human. You know, the finite mind of man really struggles with this aspect of how can something be both God and man at the same time? Our minds just aren't developed enough, I guess, to be able to figure that out and to understand that. But it is still true. And all the time that he was with us, he was both. But powerfully and wonderfully, it's the humanness that captured me. I mean, there are those who argue this stuff. There's a belief that says that, you know, Jesus um, really wasn't God. He was just a man who did wonderful things. Uh, That's known as Ebionism. There are also those who argue that he was God, but he wasn't really a man. All we saw was an apparition. You know, this, 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 no, that's Socetism. And neither one of them are biblical, and neither one of them are true. But people who don't understand things, who don't want to accept some things, will find excuses and will find arguments to try to dissuade, but in reality, convince themselves that this stuff isn't true. Jesus had to be born a human being for several reasons. Next slide, please. We read in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, that since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that his death, with his death, by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, and that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he came he made, he made, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those when they are tempted. You know, as you read that scripture and stuff, It's full of a lot of depth. It's full of a lot of meaning and stuff like that. But do you catch the fact that it says that he shared in their humanity? And why? I know people who are so afraid to die that they aren't living. I know people who are so wanting to die that they aren't living. How many of you have seen that meme, you know, about the past is the past, the future is the future, and the present is a present? You're supposed to be living in this part right now? Well, that's the truth, and that's the reality of it all. And Jesus came back to put that into focus for us and help us to understand these different things. Next slide, please. We also see that in Galatians, it says that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Only man can be born under the law. No animal, no angel, 
No heavenly being is born of the law except for man. The law was a foundational covenant that God made with the Jews. It was to give them an understanding of how they should live their lives. It gave them boundaries and things. And what they did was they took those boundaries and they added more and more and more and more into it until eventually it was 600 and something laws and complications. But the bottom line was it said, this is how you're supposed to live. And as such... There are things that have to be done when you screw that up. Because you see, one of the problems we have with that law is that with God's law, every single one of us is a transgressor on that law. We have broken those laws. It starts off with original sin. Ah, there are some that argue there's no such thing. But every one of us is born with a bent to do wrong. Explain to me why a two-year-old throws a tantrum and knows that by doing so, it'll get its way. Explain to me how a child knows and will lie and say, I didn't do it when there's all over their face or paint all over their hands and the things that they've done. It's rather obvious that, yes, you did, but they'll lie. Why? What put that in them? It's part of who we are. It's part of what makes us up. We are transgressors of the law. We have broken the law. And as we struggle with that, and as we go through with all of that, we see that only another human can redeem a human into the transgressions of law. Only a perfect human can redeem us. You see, God made him to be the sacrifice that we needed. I mean, if you look at what you see here, it's impossible. When the time had come, God sent his son, born a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. God gave us animals and blood. And he said that we were to sacrifice these animals at the temple in order to atone for our sins. Next slide, please. But in the process of doing that, what he said was, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for life. Well, the Jews believed in that, and they sacrificed their animals at the altar. And what they did was, is they did it over and over and over again because you can't do it once for all. You have to do it for every time you screw up. Because it's only temporary in nature. That's why the scripture also says that the blood of animals can't erase our sin or forgive our sin in completeness. Only human blood can cover that. Now stop and think about that. How many of you would be willing to sacrifice your son or your daughter or your wife or your husband, your mother, your father, or somebody like that on the altar 
so that their blood could forgive your sins. As ornery as some of my brothers and sisters are, I'd think about it. But in reality, I would not. What's more, it'd be a waste of time. Because if they're full of the same sin that I am, how can their blood do anything for me? It can't. It takes the perfect blood of Christ in order to do that. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, it says in Hebrews. That is based upon the Levitical law that God gave the Jews and that they lived with. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus Christ's blood was sacrificed on that cross, it became the cleansing vehicle for every single one of our sins. If that doesn't make you feel good, there's something wrong with you. I mean, it ought to give you a sense of peace. It ought to give you a sense of understanding. Jesus Christ was the perfect Lamb of God. He sacrificed His body and He sacrificed His blood for you. Now, that's going to be important here in a few minutes. You know, furthermore, the humanity of Jesus does something that ought to make you comfortable in that he causes us and gives us the ability not only to relate to him, but him to relate to us. Next slide, please. The dictionary defines humanity as having the characteristics of compassion, kindness, consideration, understanding, sympathy, blah, 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 benevolence, charity, generosity. You can read it all up there. It's on the screen. whole lot of words. But it says to be human... Those are the things, those are the characteristics that exemplify us. Now, it's kind of hard to look at those and say, okay, an animal can be some of those. I mean, my dog's pretty tolerant of me most of the time. Uh, But I'll tell you what, when I'm holding out a treat for him, I ain't no tenderness there when he goes after it. He wants it now. Animals can't be. That's why this is humanity. And only a human can sympathize with another human about their weaknesses, about their frailties, and about the temptations that they go through. Jesus Christ, by being human, had the ability to relate to us because he exampled every single one of the things that you see up there at definition. You see evidence of it throughout the Bible. I mean, I love reading the scriptures and stuff. And one of my favorite stories is about Jesus when he was 12 years old. You remember the story? Mom and dad go to Jerusalem for the Passover and stuff. Now all the family and friends, they all go in this big bunch and stuff. And for three days, you know, there and they're celebrating and stuff. And Jesus, he's off and doing his thing. He's a 12-year-old boy. Now, when I was a kid, my mom and dad gave me a lot of freedom. My brothers and I, we'd get on the bus in Indianapolis and we'd go downtown at Soldiers and Sailors Park. I remember getting on a bike and riding two miles down to the White River and jumping off the bridge. Well, Mom wasn't real thrilled about that part, but, you know, jumping off the bridge into the water and swimming, camping, walking three miles, going through the back of a drive-in theater and watching the movies at night with Dad having given each of us a quarter. Woo! Back then, a quarter would buy you one of those 
you know, what would they call the long daddy or slow daddy or it was that caramel sucker that you could chew on all night long, one of those things. And a Coke. We had everything we needed. I remember watching Viva Las Vegas, you know, and a bunch of other corny movies on that big screen. I can empathize with Jesus because being a kid, he was off doing his own thing. But mom and dad on the way back home suddenly realized, hey, hey, anybody seen Jesus? And they got upset. They got worried. They went back to Jerusalem and they started searching everywhere to find him. And where did they find him? They found him in the temple. What I love is that Jesus goes, oh, duh, I've been here all along. Didn't you know where I'd be? But when he realized that he had worried his mother and father, Luke 2.51 says that he became obedient. And he did as they desired. That's a kid. That's real. I mean, he worried his mom and dad, and when he realized it, he made it up to mom and dad by being obedient. Wow. I mean, how human can you be? It goes on in Scripture where you read after time after time. I mean, how many of you guys have ever done what your mom wanted you to or bragged to others about? Huh? You know, I love my mom. But sometimes she was a pain. Oh, Corky does the most beautiful paintings. Maybe he'll do a sketch or a painting for you. Or this or that or the other thing. And my mom would brag about me to other people and stuff like that. And I want to crawl under a rock. But you know what? Uh, it's my mom. So finally I give in. I do what she wants. Jesus did the same thing. He turned water into wine at a wedding because his mom asked him, well, badgered him into it. And I can't help but think that Jesus must have laughed while he was celebrating at that wedding about the fact that his mom's reaction to what he did. I mean, the wine steward sure was shocked. He went to the guy and says, hey, why did you save the best stuff for last? Anybody on a diet here? You get tempted? I sure do. I face temptation in the fact that I love food. Norbert and I, Norbert Buds, I'll tell you, man, that man knows how to cook. But sometimes temptation has caused me to do things that I shouldn't do, and as a result, I've sinned. I have hope. Because when I look in Matthew 5 and I see what Jesus went through, when he was tempted by Satan, it gives me strength in knowing that, you know, maybe I can resist too. He was tempted just as we are. He was frustrated at times with Peter the hard-headed. I mean, how many times did he have to, you know, come on, Peter. And even his disciples, like I said, back during that storm, he looked at them and said, oh, you of little faith. And then he calmed the storm so everybody would be happy again and they could go on their business and stuff. He was laughed at and doubted. 
There's one story in Matthew 17 where the people have been trying to cast these demons out of these men and it didn't work. And so they come to Jesus and they go, well, do you think you can do something about it? (laughs) Jesus looks at him and says, what? Bring him to me. They bring the boy to him and he casts the demon out and they all look at him like, whoa. For three years, his disciples were with him. But in John 14, 8 through 11, we see that he goes, don't you recognize me? Who can't relate to Jesus' compassion? When he saw the hungry crowds that were following him, he looked at them and he realized that 5,000 people, 3,000 people, where are they going to get something to eat? And so he performs another miracle and tells his disciples to go feed them. And these people are fed. He did that out of compassion for them. He knew that there was no way that they'd be able to get to their homes and be able to get something to eat. And so out of love and compassion for them, he fed them. Or how about the time where the leper approached him and said, I know that you can heal me if you are willing. And Jesus reached out and touched him, and he was healed. Do you know how horrific it is to be a leper and to have no one, no one, to hug, to touch, or to be with, because every time you get near them, <gasps> unclean, and they yell, and they'll throw rocks at you, anything to get you away. And yet here Jesus reached out and put his hand on that man. Well, I'll tell you, it almost makes you cry when you think about what he did for that man. You read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and you're just overwhelmed with his kindness, his caring, and his love that he talks about as he goes through that. You sense the pity and the gentleness that when he dealt with the young woman who was caught in adultery, he lifted her up and said to her, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. He treated her with love, gentleness, and kindness. Whereas everybody else wanted to stone her, kill her. You know, I've been with people and cried with them at the loss of a loved one. It's not an easy thing to go through. Many of you have done the same. You know the heartbreak. And what did Jesus do? He cried. He wept. When he saw the pain and the sorrow that the people were going through over Lazarus' death. He felt sadness when the rich young man turned and walked away from him because he couldn't give up his wealth and follow Jesus. How many of us have things that we hold on to so tight that it screams? And if we were asked to let go of it, we would be willing to. Just like that. Don't touch my motorcycle. Okay, you can touch my motorcycle. How about the widow that's going out of town? They're carrying her son to be buried. Jesus saw this woman, and he had pity for her. 
Do you realize that in Jewish society that a woman cannot own property? She cannot inherit anything? As a result, if her husband dies or her children die, she has nothing. And so Jesus, out of pity, restores her son to her so he'd be able to take care of her as she aged. Jesus was rebellious in the eyes of the authorities of that time frame. Jesus went and sat and ate and drank with the rejects of society. And he did it out of love for them, not trying to spit in the eye of priests. I mean, you know, that wasn't his purpose. What he was trying to get them to understand was, is that these people need your love. And you're supposed to be doing this. And you're not. The sickness, the sick need help, not the healthy. And you think you're healthy. You're sicker than they are. You know, I preach in my colors for a couple of reasons. One is, I'm proud of my colors. But more importantly, I preach because of the hope that if we have guests or visitors who are sitting here, that they'll see that they can be as accepted in this church as I am, dressed in the way that I am as I preach. I don't have to stand up here in my church clothes, as we're called, a suit, tie, and everything else. I can stand up, well, you trust me, I will not do it naked. But, but, I do it out of hope. The same way Jesus reached out to them in hope. Sorrow? How would you react if one of your close disciples betrayed you and then kissed you in greeting as you knew what was coming next? He knew he was lied about. People could further their own gains. They lied about him at his trial, and they lied about him when they went to the other priests and stuff so that they would try to figure out how to kill him. He was rejected by those who were close to him. When he preached in his own hometown, even his mother, his brothers and sisters doubted him when he was there at the synagogue. He experienced anger. When he went to the temple and he saw the swindlers, the liars, the hypocrisy that was going on, he got mad. He took and made a whip and started turning tables over and smacking at people. The difference is, he showed us righteous anger as opposed to the abusive anger that we so often get into. And let me ask you a question. How many of you got angry when they saw what was going on with the things in Washington, D.C.? Or when they see the sexual abuse that occurred at MSU. Or in the Catholic Church. Or even in the Boy Scouts now. Those things make me angry. And yet I can see by the way Jesus reacted that there is a proper way to be angry and an improper way. All too often I have a tendency to resort to the other, so I'm working on that. Anybody here been persecuted? Have you felt yourself persecuted at your job? At work? Have you felt yourself persecuted by who you are, what you are, what you say, your belief, or anything else? I know people who won't admit that they're Christians because that means that they will not get promoted at work. Hmm. I wouldn't work there anymore. But for them right now, they're struggling with that. He was hungry and thirsty. Remember what he said to the woman at the well? 
that Patrick talked about? Woman, give me something to drink. I'm thirsty. He even said it again when he was hanging on the cross. So he had thirst. He had hunger, just like we do. Did he doubt? I have to believe that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to God, take this cup from me, that there had to be a little doubt in his mind as to whether he could go through with this. And so that's why he was asking his father to take this from him. But, out of obedience, he said, let your will be done, Father. And out of trust, he went up on that cross. He was despised. He suffered physical pain. When you look at what he went through on that Friday night, I mean, first of all, he was heartbroken. Even though he knew Judas was going to do what he did, to be greeted with a kiss. And then he was beaten. And if you've ever seen the movie The Passion, they say that it is the most accurate depiction of scourging before execution that the Romans practice, and it is horrific. Every time I watch that movie, it makes me cry when I think of what he went through before they put him on that cross. And as for grief, can you imagine what he felt like when his father turned his back on him while he hung there in pain? And he had to. Because in that moment, he took every one of our sins on his back. And God will not have sin in his presence. And so he became the sacrifice for us. With love, he looked down from the cross and he said, John, this is now your mother. Mother, this is now your son. Because remember what I told you about the woman, the widow? And her child, it was the same situation for Mary. He said, John, take care of my mother. I love her. Only a human can relate to these things and can do these things. Realize, I've gone through everything up there on that definition of humanity except for one. That was the word that I have such a hard time pronouncing. Magnanimity. I got it out magnanimity, that ability to be gracious to... But think about it. He even did that one. Do you realize he sacrificed himself for every single one of you, every person in this world that is, that was, and that will be? Whether they accept him or not, he did this for everyone. You know... He's more human than we are. Thank goodness. Because that precious blood of his is what it took. Next slide, please. You know, finally, we have to recognize that his humanity was important. Because we have a God that loves us so much that he would do this for us. That he would show us that there is nothing that we can go through that he doesn't know that he doesn't understand, relate to, and or feel as we do. I defy any person in this room to say 
he does not understand what I'm going through. I'll show you in the scripture where he does. In the scripture, not out of my mouth, not out of my opinion, not out of my, out of scripture. Because he has, he does, and he will. Jesus came in the flesh because he was able to sympathize with our human frailties. And his human blood was shed for us so that we could be reconciled to our God and be made whole again. He was fully God and he was fully man. These are biblical truths that cannot be denied. And why is that important? Because it is an aspect of our confession of faith. With our acknowledgement that Jesus Christ was God, became man, lived in this world, and faced the temptations, trials, and tribulations that we do. That he died on the cross and rose from the grave on the third day, showed himself to over 500 other people, as well as his disciples and everything else, proved that he was still living, and then ascended into the clouds that we have a God that understands and loves us. Before Jesus died. Next slide, please. He stood before his disciples. I'm sorry. Next slide, please. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in the presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. goes back to John. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew a certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. This is what every single one of us in this room needs to say and profess and to believe. That's Jesus' prayer for his disciples. In Hebrews 4, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace and com- with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. No matter what you're going through, you can walk before the throne of God in prayer and say, Father, Help me. And know that he will. And know that he will. It may not be the way you think. It may not be in the timing that you want. But he will. And there will be lessons to learn along the way. Last slide, please. You know, my life... Next slide, please. My... Huh? There was another one, folks, but we'll do that next time. You know, my life a radical turn on that Sunday. When Larry came to the house, I put him through the grinder. Amy was almost embarrassed because I kept asking him questions like, how in the heck could a woman have a child and not, you know, and be a virgin? How could she conceive? And, you know, how can the blood not mix? And blah, 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 blah. And Because you know, I was filled with philosophy, with sociology, with history, with biology, and all these other sciences and stuff like that. 
And what captured me was Larry says, I don't know. Why don't we look in the Bible and find it together? Oh, what a shocker. Like Jesus. He didn't pontificate. Well, you know, it's a little too deep for you to understand. Or stuff like that. What he said, Let's find it. And we did. But the day that I realized that God loved me that much was the days I got down on my knees and I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. Believing? Yeah. Grateful? No doubt. Thankful? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thankful for. I am simply thankful for the humanity of Christ that came in man form and did everything that we have ever done, will do, experience, etc., 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 and still said, I love you. I want you to be with me. I want you to spend eternity with me and my Father. I don't want you to feel pain, shame, or guilt for any of the things you've ever done because I've forgiven you. And if you're hurting, my arms are open to you. Wow, what a God that is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you that his love was such that he would be obedient to you. But more powerfully, Father, that he would come and he would show me that in his humanness that I can deal with the things that come my way. That he showed me that your love for me is far more than I could ever give back. And that, you know, Allah, he says you have to impress and you have to die for him. There's no love in that. You died for me. And what greater love can there be than that? I thank you for that, Father. And as I go about my day, I pray that I continue to remember and to realize that your love is the most powerful thing in the world for us. Father, as we close now in this message, we'll have prayer warriors come forward and they'll pray for those who need it. And I pray, Lord, that these hearts would be pricked and would come and ask for prayer because the gift that you give us may be strong in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There'll be prayer warriors up here in the front. If you need prayer, don't hesitate to seek them out. Ask them to lift you in prayer. Get the strength that you need. If you don't know Jesus Christ, now's the time. Come forward. We'll pray together. There are elders in this church. There are ministers in this church. We have a baptismal. You too can be a part of God's family. But as we stand and sing these songs, let us realize the power of God's love in each and every one of us.